0: You're listening to the Trace Church Rock Rimen Podcast. All right, how we doing, Trace? How we doing today? Everybody doing all right? Yeah, all right. Good to have you in this room with us. Also, those of you watching online, thanks for joining us online. Hey, before I jump into my sermon, I do want to make an appeal, specifically to you parents, and I'll begin this way. Guys, you you saw what your kids just went through in the past year, right? I mean, I don't need to tell you what... Uh, you already know, you saw that this was a very difficult year for your children. Whether it was the disconnection from friends, whether it was just the chaos of COVID and trying to figure out this whole mass thing and the uh, the school situation. I'm a father of four, like we saw it firsthand. And the reason I'm saying that is because if there were ever a year where I would implore you to do whatever it takes to get your kids to camp, this would be the year. Like, I would encourage you to pay them, bribe them, whatever it takes to get them to camp. Because we believe, and you'll hear us say this a lot, we believe camps cultivate life changing Christ. And I bet my story is not that unique. I came to faith in Christ at a camp. And there's something that happens when you're removed from the norm, when you're removed from your routine, and you have this kind of focused week where there's leaders and teachers encouraging you to make Christ the, the center focal point of your life. And so what we want to do this year is we want to put our money where our mouth is. And we don't want finances to be a deterrent for anyone, any kid, any family getting to camp. And so we're going to do a special Easter offering this year where we're going to ask you to give above and beyond specifically so that we can get every kid who wants to go, every family who wants to send their kid to camp and and that finances are not a deterrent. Now, let me say this as well. Many of you are receiving stimulus checks right now, and you know as well as I do, you really don't need the money. And I'm not here to tell you how to use that money, but I do want to ask, man, what if you gave a portion of that to this offering? Uh, Maybe you just tithe all that. Take 10% of whatever you're getting from the government, and you're like, you know what? We're going to devote that to making sure that we create an opportunity for a kid to experience life change in Christ at a camp experience this year. And so on Easter, we're going to bring that special Easter offering. So between now and then, would you just pray? And partner with us on how we can make this the biggest year maybe for camps that we have ever had at Trace. Sound good? Well, hey, let me pray for our morning and then we're going to jump in. Father, thanks for this morning. Thanks for who you are. God, thank you that you are in the business of changing lives. And so we may come in here with preconceived notions of what you can or can't do even in our own life. And I pray that you would tear those down. And God, that you would move powerfully in and through our time this morning. And we know you can. And we pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, today we're kicking off a what was going to be a three week series, but last week having to cancel because of the snow is now a two week series called "Wreck the Roof." And if you've been around here for a few weeks, you know I've been jazzed about this series. This has been one of those series that has been just forming inside of me for the last several months. And so we've got a lot to cover, and I don't want to take too much time on the front end of this. So if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to be in Mark's Gospel today. If you have your Bible, you can open them up, turn them on, however you read the Word of God. And uh, we're going to be in Mark chapter 2. But let me set the stage. Let me set the context for where we're going to arrive when we jump into Mark chapter two, Jesus has recently started his ministry. And so he's traveling around Galilee. He's traveling around Galilee and he's preaching the kingdom of God. And he's also starting to heal people. And there's a specific healing that happens. It's going to be important for our story. And so what happens if you jump back to Mark chapter one is you're gonna see that Jesus heals a leper. Now that's significant based on where we're getting right ahead, so just kind of keep that in mind. But let's jump in. Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 2. Here's what the gospel writer says. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come. And so they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. So men came bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Now, again, if you're if you've been around church, you know, you've likely heard this story of the paralyzed man being healed and it's easy for us to kind of read through or read over and not not to stop at times and let the text breathe because obviously there's a bigger story unfolding behind the scenes here. And so I want to kind of bring this to life for us today because I think it's going to be important for our conversation. So, the first question is why are these guys bringing their paralyzed friend to Jesus. I mean, that's not an easy task, right? This is not going to be an easy thing for them to do. They're going to have to go, they're going to have to pick him up and who knows how far they have to travel to get their paralyzed friend to Jesus. And so you have to wonder, it's like, "Man, why are they going to such effort?" Like what? I mean, Jesus has just started their ministry, so something has happened to cause them to think, "We've got to get our friend and for the sake of storytelling, let's call him Joe." Okay, maybe short for Joseph. It was a common name at that time. So let's call the paralyzed friend Joe. Like, they want to get Joe to Jesus. And the best suggestion that I think I could make to you today is I bet one of his friends, I bet one of his friends either heard or saw this leper getting healed. And the reason why that is so significant is because lepers didn't get healed. Like, lepers. Uh, obviously having leprosy, that's the disease that they carried, they were actually commanded by governing officials, hey, if anybody gets too close to you, it's your job to yell, unclean, unclean, so that they don't potentially catch leprosy. And so not only did lepers not get healed, people didn't even get close to them. But Jesus, Jesus not only got close to him, But he healed him, and he likely healed him through touch. And so my guess is that one of Joe's friends saw this happen, and when he saw it happen, he immediately thought, I've got to get Joe to Jesus. Like what I just saw happen, that's not supposed to happen. So this has got to be the guy that we've been waiting on. This has got to be it. This has got to be the Messiah. So he goes and gets some of his fellows, some of the boys. is like, hey, guys, we got to go get Joe to Jesus. And so they get to Joe's house, and here's what you need to know about Joe. Joe had a tough life. I mean, for obvious reasons, right? Just the physical impairment, being paralyzed. He was going to have a difficult life. And just imagine what it was like being paralyzed at that time, not being able to really get around. You know, there's no smooth pavement or anything like that. And so a lot of days of just lying. and Not really going anywhere. But on top of that, there was also this spiritual component. Because if you had a condition like Joe's, there would have been religious leaders that would have used some, some of the Mosaic law and twisted it, this, this idea of generational sin, which I'm not going to go too far into right now, but they would have looked at guys like Joe and said, obviously you've done something wrong. Or if it wasn't you, it was your parents. And so God is cursing you. Because of this, and we don't know if Joe was born this way or maybe something happened to him later in life that caused him to be a paralytic, but Joe's paralyzed and Joe has lived a lot of life up until now hearing, God's upset with you. It would have been easy for Joe and his family to walk away thinking, God must be mad at us. And so when this friend and his fellas come and they get to, Joe, 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 man, get ready. Like, it's time to go. We've got to get you to this guy named Jesus. And you got to imagine, Joe's like, wait a minute, whoa, 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 what's going on? No, 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 Joe, Joe, with no time, man. We got to get you to Jesus. He's a, he's a rabbi. And Joe would have been like, whoa, 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 time out. A rabbi? Man, I, I've had enough of judgment and condemnation from religious leaders because of my condition. <laughs> Guys, no thanks. And I imagine the man who saw the leper healed lean down and say, Joe, this time it's going to be different. Can I take a time out really quick? I don't know where you guys are at in life. I don't know where you're at in relationship. I don't know where you're at when it comes to church. I've met several people that have come here this morning for the first time and Maybe historically some of your church experiences have not been healthy. But can I urge you to consider today that because of the God that we worship, who's in the business of changing lives, in whatever context that you need to hear this in, maybe this time it'll be different. So they pick up Joe and they start carrying him and they're getting him again. We don't know how far they have to travel, but they get him to where Jesus is And we land in chapter, I'm sorry, in verse four, when it says, since they could not get him to Jesus. So they get there, right? They get there, but there's a huge crowd and they finally get there. There's this huge crowd. And it says they made an opening since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd. They made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat to the lowered the mat. The man was lying on, excuse me. They lowered the mat the man was lying on. Now, when we read this, when you read this for the first time, it should elicit a reaction from you where it's like, what? Like, hold on, what just happened? Right, don't just read through this story because you've got it memorized. You've heard it several times, maybe other preachers preaching through this text. But you need, like, this this should elicit a reaction. So what's happening is they get there and they see the crowd. And one of them, I guess it's the guy that saw the leopard get healed. One of them is saying, no no, 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 no. He's looking around, no, 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 we're not stopping now. We're not stopping now, and they're looking around, and then somebody, one of the guys, one of the guys says, let's take him to the roof. Now, can we be honest? Like, this is a total redneck move, right? <laughs> like, this is a total redneck move. Like, this friend, whoever this friend was that said, let's take him to the roof. He likely lived in the town, like there was the next town over. Maybe there was a little bit more hillbilly. I'm thinking of Pueblo. I mean, hey, I'm from Kentucky. If you're from Pueblo, like you're my people. But we're going to call him Pueblo Paul. Is that okay? So Pueblo Paul says, let's take him to the roof. Now, if you're wondering, how in the world did they get Joe to the roof? Well, houses. In that time in that era would have been something like this. There would have been stairs on the side of many of the houses so guys could get up and work on the roof if it was leaking. So it wasn't as big of a challenge as you may have, th- may have thought. And so they get Joe to the top of the roof, and they're right. They're like, like, now what? And my guess is Pueblo Paul says, Let's dig a hole in it. Or maybe let's dig a hole in it. And they start tearing, they start tearing the roof of this house apart so that they can get Joe to Jesus. Can we stop there for a second? And can I ask you an honest question? Would you have stopped at the crowd? Like when you, got, when you got there, I mean, you've already done a lot of work, right? You've gone to a ton of effort, man. Who knows how far they had to trek carrying their friend Joe. And you get there and it's looking through the crowd. And it's like, uh, we gave it our best shot. We tried. Heck, you could have even said, hey, let's just wait for the crowd to go away. Maybe there's an opportunity later. Maybe Jesus will hang out afterwards and shake people's hands as they're leaving the church service. Maybe there'll be an opportunity later. In my younger 20s, man, I used, to be <laughs> I used to be that guy. Like when I first got on fire for my faith, I was probably around 21, 22 years old. And, and man, when I say I got on fire, I got on fire for Jesus. I was one of those guys that probably annoyed people. Like I was that guy. When I went to the gym to work out, I had this shirt that I wore that on the front it said, Jesus freak. And on the back it said, what if you're wrong? And I was, you know, a little abrasive and kind of in people's face, but I just wanted, man, I wanted to take every opportunity in front of me to point people to Jesus because I saw what God was doing in my life, and I didn't want to be selfish with that. And I wanted people to hear about the transformational work that not only God was doing in my life, but what He could do in their life. And I remember even having—I uh, was a part owner in a health club at the time—and I remember having one of my business partners coming up to me and saying, "Hey, Aaron, you can't, man, dude." Like, you need to tone the religion, religious stuff down a little bit. And, of course, me being who I was at that point, I'm like, it's not about a religion, it's about a relationship. And, you know, it's like, I was that guy. I was that guy. And Emily and I, man, we were just, we were inviting everybody, everybody we could to come to church with us. Now, let me be clear. You don't just need to get people to church so they meet Jesus here. My hope is they meet Jesus through you. But I also want to be clear that there's a lot of life change that happens in gatherings like this. This is why I think the ekklesia, which is the Greek word for church, it literally means to gather together. I, I, knew, I think God knew that there was going to be power at work when we come together like this. This is why those of you that are watching online still so listen. We love you, and we know you may have a really good reason you're watching online. But I promise you, this is, like, this is not the church this is a better form of what Jesus was talking about. Now again, we get it, and if you need to stay and watch online for a long we, we get it. But if it's just an excuse, my hope is that you would come in here because, man, there's power at work, right? There's power at work when we gather together in here. Emily and I were inviting straight people, gay people, crooked people, Jewish people, atheists, agnostics, even <clears throat> invited a... A blind man by the name of Harley, I'll tell you stories about him one day because he taught me some things, blew my mind. And one time we even invited a girl that I dated before I married Emily. And we picked her up one Sunday morning, I'm not joking. We picked her up one Sunday morning and took her to church with us. Ten years after that, literally, right around ten years after that time, Where we took this girl that I dated to church with us, and because we would tell people, "Hey, if you can't get like, we'll pick you up." We did. We like wanted to take people's excuse, so we'd go and we'd just pick people up. And so we had picked up this girl that I dated and drove her to church with us. And about ten years after that, I'm in Arizona. Okay, that this time you know that story is when I lived in Kentucky. Now I'm in Arizona, and this young lady calls the church. She finds where I'm at. She calls. The church that I'm now working at and asked to speak with me and I get on the phone and I'm like and she said Aaron I just want to let you know that I've given my life to Jesus and if it weren't for your wife showing me such a godly example of what a woman of God looks like 10 years ago I'm not sure I would have made that decision can we give it up for my awesome wife Emily? yeah I was that guy. I didn't want anything stopping me from getting people to Jesus. But now? Now too often, I see the crowd. I see the obstacle. And way too often and way too quickly, I give up. And then i walk away. Or maybe I put a spiritual twist on it. It's like, well, maybe it's just not the right time. And I hate that. And I could throw a lot of excuses out there. Just being a father of four now, I'm obviously really busy leading a church. I'm obviously very busy. And I could give you tons of excuses. But I see the crowd. I see the obstacle. And way too quickly, I just give up. Would anyone else like to admit today that they've lost some spiritual passion and boldness, that you've lost some of that urgency of wanting to get people to Jesus? Can we just take a moment? I'll let it it breathe for a second. Anybody want to admit that? You've lost some of that spiritual passion and burden and urgency of getting people to Jesus. Yeah. I think one of the greatest indictments against us at times comes in the form of this statement. Too often the demands of our day are often louder than the compassion of our heart. Trace, I don't want us to see the crowd. I don't want us to see the crowd. I don't want us to give up because there's, a, there's an obstacle. Ready for it? I want us to be the kind of friends and I want us to be the kind of followers of Jesus that are willing to wreck the roof that we don't see the crowd, that we see through the crowd, that we see the obstacle. Yes, we can't help but see the obstacle, but we know it's God's opportunity, that we are the kind of friends and the kind of followers that are willing to look past that and look and observe and think and believe in faith that God can still do the impossible and that we're willing to wreck the roof if necessary. Guys, Are you still believing in faith? Are we still believing in faith? I was talking to my team about this the other day. Are we still believing in faith that God can do the impossible? Because don't miss it. It was because of their faith. Like this messes with my theology, okay? It was because of their faith. When Jesus saw their faith, He said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. That messes with my theology. It was their faith. So I mean, I have to like reconcile that in my mind. Well, Jesus obviously knew the mind of this paralyzed man and knew that he was ready to repent and offer his life over to Jesus. So Jesus already knew that. So he had to offer it to them. Like, I think I have to go there, but also can't dismiss the text. It was because of their faith. It was because of their faith that Jesus didn't heal him yet. Like he's going to take care of the man's obstacle, but not before he saves the man from his sins. It was because of their faith that he said, son, your sins are forgiven. You know what this means? It means that your investment and your invitation That your investment and your invitation is involved in the salvation process. A good friend of mine, Perry, several years ago invited his 82-year-old neighbor. They're in here today, I won't point them out. Perry invited his 82-year-old neighbor. Plenty of obstacles. And Perry could have never, ever imagined that his invitation would end up looking like this. (laughs) Yeah, go ahead. (laughs) Plenty of obstacles. But Perry's a wreck-the-roof kind of friend. And because of that, heaven got a little bit bigger. Are you believing? Are you believing in faith right now? That God still wants to do something through your faith? Are you still believing in faith right now that God wants to take your faith that could potentially lead to someone else's salvation? Messes with my theology a little bit. i got to be honest. But are you believing in faith that that can happen? Can I be honest with you? Can I tell you what I would like to see? You know what I want to see in here every single Sunday morning? Do Do you know what makes me want to see more people get baptized over there? Like, I want to see life change happening in here every single Sunday because of your faith. Not because of my preaching. I want to see life change and life transformation happening here every single Sunday that we show up because of your faith. Because what you're believing in faith. I don't want to be the kind of church that sees the crowd. But I also don't want to be the kind of church that becomes the crowd. Let me show you what I'm talking about. I'll pick up in verse six. He says this. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there. So they're observing all of this happening as the guy's coming through the roof and Jesus is saying what he's saying. Some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit what this was. Uh, that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. I'm going to come back to that a little bit later. But here I think we have an obvious response. Of the Pharisees, the religious leaders, but I want us to take a moment and think about like what was the reaction to everyone around that was experiencing this? Because there were probably a lot of different reactions. Of course, the religious leaders are throwing the claim of blasphemy on Jesus. We don't expect anything less from them. But what about everybody else? Like, what's everybody else experiencing in this moment as all this is transpiring in front of them? Is it possible that some some of them are like, "Hey, you're messing up our service. Jesus was about to get to his three point illustration. Like, what are you doing?" You're making a mess, look at the house. Why don't you just stand outside with everyone else? Maybe some of them rolled their eyes and looked at each other and it's like, must be the millennials, you know? <laughs> maybe some of them left and went home and got on social media. You're never gonna believe what happened when I was trying to listen to Jesus teach today. But maybe still others, you're never gonna believe what happened when I was listening to Jesus teach today. This past year, I probably received more ugly emails than I ever have in my 15 years of doing ministry. When all the racial injustice stuff was going on, I spoke up pretty strongly about that. I spoke against racial injustice. Some people didn't want me to do that. You've got, of course, um, everything going on with the election. And I expect in, in an election year, I expect in an election year that I'm going to get a lot of strong opinions. And I'm about as apolitical as they come, just so you know. And I preached a me- message. If you're new to Trace want to go back and listen to it, I'd strongly encourage you to. Is in November, right before the election. We called it Election Sunday. And I talked about what our position is when it comes to how we view politics and how, sh- how we make sure we measure that um, in a healthy way when it comes to our citizens, our citizenship in heaven, that's, that's our true citizenship based on what Paul says when he's writing to the church in Philippi, that you are citizens of heaven. And so I just kind of helped us navigate through that. Some people didn't like that. And again, I expected the opinions. What I didn't expect were the indictments. You are. I'll be honest. I'm, I got pretty thick skin. But some of them came from people I wouldn't have expected it from. And received some pretty ugly emails about our decision to close this building. Again, we don't close the church because you can't close the movement of God, amen. But we closed this building for several weeks, a couple different times, and I got several emails of people telling me why they thought that was wrong. Some people did it in a healthy way and other people didn't. And a lot of those people are no longer a part of our church anymore. And I'd I'd be lying if I didn't say that I get bitter at times over stuff like that. I think there needs to be a deeper sense of loyalty to a given body of believers. I do, I'll talk to you more about that probably in the fall. And I've had to learn where it's like, man, I I gotta be careful what I say because I do get frustrated, but every single one of those people that left our church, they're welcome back here. Now we'll make them sit back in the corner over there and (laughs) kind of like lepers, like we know, know, full circle, see what I did there? But do you know what email I didn't get? I didn't get an email that said, Aaron, is there any way we can open the church building back up again? Because I'm trying to get my lost friend and neighbor and coworker or family member, I'm trying to get them to Jesus. Is there any way that we can do something different during this time? Is there any any way that we can leverage this political season so that we can reach people far from God that maybe have a distaste in their mouth because too often Christianity is tied to a political party which Jesus would have never been a part of. And so is there something that we can do? No, I didn't get that email. And to be honest with you, man, if there was ever an email that I'd be okay getting of somebody being upset with me, it'd be something like that. I wish somebody would get upset with me because we're not doing enough to reach people far from God. I wish people would get upset with me because we're not wrecking the roof for our neighbors and our friends and our coworkers. I wish somebody would write me an email that said, Aaron, like, bro, I love you and I appreciate you but there's too many lost people in our city for us to be sitting so idle right now. I'd love for somebody to get my face about that. I didn't get any of those emails. I want to make a point here. And I'm going to use something else that happened in this chapter because just a few moments later after Jesus heals this paralyzed man, it says that he's eating dinner in Levi's house. And they invited a bunch of people that were far from God. And it could have been prostitutes, likely tax collectors. And who knows the kind of misfits that were invited to this, this meal. And Jesus is eating with them. And the Pharisees show up like they like to do and start picking it apart. And they, they don't say anything to Jesus, but they say something to his disciples. They say, hey, why is, why is Jesus eating with these kind of people? And Jesus hears them. And I don't know what this scene looks like, but I imagine Jesus kind of pushing his chair out from the table, maybe crossing his arms, and looking at him right just dead in the eye. Mark chapter 2, verse 17. Jesus said to them, "Guys, it's not the healthy who need a doctor. You know this. You know this. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick." I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I've learned to say this a little bit different over the years. One of the ways that I have said this is we're not here to entertain Christians. When we set out to plant this church about four and a half years ago, it wasn't planted. We didn't start a new church so that we could entertain Christians. We're not here to play church on Sunday, which is why we intentionally say the phrase, this is a place that you can stop pretending over and over and over because way too many people are playing church on Sundays. I'm not interested in that. I didn't move my family to a new state so we could start a church so we could just play church on Sunday. No, we came here because we wanted to reach people far from God. We came here because we wanted to be a kind of people and started the kind of church that would wreck the roof for people who don't know Jesus yet. And that's what I'm inviting you to do with me, with us. is to be the kind of people that are not willing to just stop because they see the crowd, but they're willing to wreck the roof so we can get people to Jesus. Now, I've been doing this long enough to know that there's probably some kind of sentiment in here right now where it's like, well, what about the believers? Like, it always comes up, and I get it, and it's a sincere question. Like, like I get that we want to be a church that's reaching people for Jesus, and that's great, but like, what about the believers? What about the people that already believe? And there's a part of me that doesn't even like the question because I, I wish you already knew the answer. But to be fair to the question and to know that that's a sincere feeling that a lot of people have when they come to church, hey, what are you going to do for me? Now, I want to caution you not to be a consumer, right? Come in here. What is is this going to do for me instead of coming here and saying, hey, how can I get on mission with you guys to wreck the roof and reach more people for Jesus, man? That's the kind of culture that I want to create when people come here. But for those of you that might have that sentiment, let me go ahead and kind of speak and press into it just a tad. One of the things that often comes with that, hey, we, you know, what about us? And this, maybe it's a question like, we want to go deeper. So like, what are you going to do to help us go go deeper? And if that's really the question, if the question is sincere that you want to go deeper, I think you have erred on the side of thinking that more spiritual intellect is what it means to go deeper. Go read through the entire New Testament and tell me if you find that anywhere. Do you know how it's defined? Do you know how going deeper is defined? loving people sacrificially. Philippians 2, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility, consider others more important than yourselves. Each of you not looking out for your own interests, but looking to the interest of others. If you really want to go deeper, then join us and get on mission with us and make our greatest motivation your greatest motivation. One of the things that I've said a lot is, Well, I think I've got it highlighted, so let me share it with you. I say say this, I don't care if you learn anything else. I don't care if you learn anything else until you share what you know with someone else. Like If it's really about going deeper, if it's really about connecting with the heart of your Heavenly Father more, I don't care if you learn anything else until, and I'm not saying dismissing learning at all, Okay, let me be very clear about that. But I don't care because most of you already know enough. I don't care if you learn anything else until you share what you already know with someone else. That's the greatest way to go deeper. Let me say it differently. Maybe I need to start saying it this way. I don't care if you learn anything else until you share Jesus with someone else. If you want to deepen your roots into Jesus, spiritual intellect is a part of it. But throughout the new covenant, it's always sacrificial love and doing whatever you can to leverage whatever influence God has given you to send people in the direction of Jesus. That is what we see. That is the message of the gospel. And so, maybe if you want to go deeper, make your greatest motivation our greatest motivation to remove obstacles to get people to Jesus. We don't want to be a church that sees the crowd, we want to see past the crowd. We want to be like Pueblo Paul that says, let's take him to the roof. Really? Yes. If we want to be a wreck the roof kind of church, then we're probably going to have to do some things that are unconventional. Like I really do believe that if... We want to create a culture here at Trace where we're friends and followers of Jesus who are willing to wreck the roof. I think that means we're going to have to have a bias towards action. It starts in our neighborhoods, it bleeds into our workplaces, and it pours out into our city. And my hope is that one day it will affect people around the world, that this church will be affecting people around the world. And I know that's going to happen. If we're going to be a wreck-the-roof kind of church, we're going to have to do some things that maybe sometimes are impractical, maybe sometimes things that make me uncomfortable. I've got a friend who planted a church uh, just a few weeks ago here in the city, and they were going around and putting door hangers on people's doors. And uh, they got to one door, and they were getting ready to put the door hanger on, and it had one of those no-soliciting signs. And it said, um, hey, uh," what did it say? We don't have any money. We know who we're voting for. We already found Jesus, and so unless you're giving away free beer, please leave. And so they went and bought him a six-pack of Bud Light. <laughs> I'm not joking. And they take, the, they take it to him, knock on the door and say, hey, just so you know, here we get in." He was so moved that they would even go to those measures for him, that some guy they've never even met, that he allowed them to pray for him. And then he came to their launch Sunday. He'd never been to church before and he brought his elderly father. So what am I saying? Booze people up? God, no, I'm not, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying that. But do we do, need to do some things different? Do we need to challenge some paradigms? Yes, we do. If we want to be a wreck-the-roof kind of church, if we want to be wreck-the-roof kind of people, I want to show you what Luke said in his gospel account of the same story as that story was concluding. He says this, he said, and everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. My hope is that because of your faith, every single Sunday in this place, we see remarkable things happen. Listen, guys, we all know people who are paralyzed not like Joe. We know people who are paralyzed by guilt and shame and fear. What obstacles can we can we remove? What obstacles can we remove so that we can get them to Jesus? Maybe how we love better, how we live, how we leverage our influence, how we make ourselves available And when they get here, once we remove those obstacles and they actually get here, how do we cultivate a culture of Jesus here where people experience the unfailing love of God? Where no matter how dirty their past is, that they they sense and they feel and they see how much their Heavenly Father actually loves them. A place that echoes the words of Jesus when He says, Let's learn what it looks like to be wreck the roof, friends and followers of Jesus. Let me pray for us. God, God, thank you so much for who you are. God, thank you for clear examples in your word of what it looks like for us to go to extreme measures if necessary at times so that we can get people to Jesus. May this story be a story of inspiration to us today. And maybe even people that we've forgotten about, maybe people that we've given up on in the past where it's like, man, there's no invitation, there's no conversation about Jesus that's ever going to make any changes in their life, that we would stop putting parameters around what you're capable of. And that we would believe in faith that you are able to do the impossible. And so God, help us to be people of faith that are believing in faith that you can still change lives, that you can still lead people to salvation even through our own faith at times. And God, that you would help us to be a people that learn how to wreck the roof so that we can get more people to Jesus and so that heaven will be bigger because of our influence. God, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.